Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John eleven seventeen through 37. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Mary and Martha after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, See how much he loved him? But some of them said, He healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It means so much to me, Dana, that you read that text. I'd like to pray that God would speak to us this morning and that we would have hearts to listen to what his word says. God, you are the one who is faithful to speak. You are the resurrection and the life. Give us ears to hear this morning. Help us breathe life into us that our hearts might be open to the life that you want to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kids with us, I am grateful you're here. Um, If you or an adult you're with would like a coloring sheet, um, go ahead and raise your hands. The greeters are coming around to pass those out um, and some coloring instruments as well. We are in a series uh, called Life with God, Seven Psalms and Seven Statements, in which we're looking at from week to week either a psalm, looking at how prayer shapes us, what does our engagement with God look like 
And on the other weeks, we're looking at one of the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, asking the question, um, how, how is God's engagement with us? What is he like? How does he engage the different people or interact with the different people in the Gospel? Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about John chapter 11. And this story, you know this story. This story is not new to you, if you've been around church or not for any length of time. It's the story of Lazarus. Now, if you want to throw up that uh, slide, Tim. So here are different paintings. I'm just going to keep this up the whole time so that you can scan it, look at it, whatever you want. Here are different paintings throughout the centuries of how people have depicted this incredible story of the raising of Lazarus. So on the top left is like a 13th, 14th century anonymous icon that was painted to depict what happened. Um, below that is an Italian painting by the wonderful Caravaggio uh, in the 16th century. And then you have Rembrandt um, on the right uh, in the 17th century. Now, what I love about these different paintings is you have different ways of imagining the scene, right? The story that we have read, that we have been told, here are people trying to do justice to it in something like art, right? And how do you do that well? And so kids, here's a question I have for you, and I'm not going to answer this. This is something I hope that you would answer. One of the things that I love about each of these paintings is that Jesus, which it doesn't talk about this in the text, he has his hands raised, right? In every moment, right, Jesus's hand is raised, as if somehow that's involved in what is taking place. Now, I'm curious if you want to think about why that might be. Um, and if you have answers for that, tell your parents, tell me. I don't know, and we can solve this mystery together. But I just love that that's one of the things. And then, I mean, there's so many different things about these works of art. But this is just a way to engage the story. So as I was trying to get into the story over the last couple weeks in preparation for this, because... It's easy when we've heard a story so often that it becomes, we just, we know it. We know the different beats. We know what's going to happen next. So we just kind of glance over it. So a way that, a practice that I attempted to adopt over the last couple weeks was imagining the different characters who are part of the story and engaging the story in what's taking place or trying to or attempting to here, you know, in 2019 um, and, and what it might have been like. So I want to walk through that, how the different characters might have experienced what is actually happening. So first, I want us to consider the disciples. That's where the story begins. We have Jesus, and we have a word coming to Jesus from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is ill. And we have the disciples and Jesus around, and Jesus makes the decision in the text. And if you want to turn there, I'm not going to so read the text specifically. I'm going to walk through it. Um, and if you want to glance at it, page 897 is in the Blue Bibles. This is where John 11 is. So this word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is ill. And Jesus actually waits. He doesn't go immediately. But he waits a couple days before he is to return. And he tells the disciples, let us return to Judea. Let us go to Bethany. The disciples immediately are a little bit hesitant. Because this is a place where Jesus has been before and where there has been hostility. Jesus' life has actually been threatened. And Jesus wants to go in the direction of where his life was threatened. The disciples are, are, 
or no. Why why would you do that? And Jesus talks about Lazarus. He says he's ill. He says that he has actually fallen asleep, but that he will wake up. And the disciples are confused. Well, if he's asleep, Lord, then of course he will wake up. Why do we need to go? The disciples are a little confused. But then Jesus talks about waiting and that this is going to be some sort of sign that they will then see and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, I consider the disciples and I consider myself. I consider being close to Jesus, walking with Jesus, and yet sometimes having no clue what it is Jesus is up to. The disciples confused as to why Jesus would wait, but then also if Lazarus is just asleep, why would they then go? But not only that, why would he go to a place where they've experienced hostility before? Isn't his life in danger? Well, to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus into the places where it's not necessarily safe or comforting, but to the places where Jesus himself goes, and it's in that journey with Jesus that we might then see what it is he's up to and who he's actually like. In many ways, I find myself, like the disciples here, confused, not necessarily sure what Jesus is actually saying, what he's doing, but following anyway. Is your faith journey at all like that? Well, the story continues. Jesus does wait two days, but then he does show up into Bethany. And here we consider Martha and Mary. We know the story. Jesus arrives in Bethany. Martha comes out, and she says, Jesus... If you wouldn't have been here, then Lazarus wouldn't have died. says that in verse 21. Then later in 32, Mary says the exact same thing when she comes. Jesus, if you would have only been here, then our brother would not have died. I think of this story in this picture of death. And I think of these questions and the humanity with which these questions are posed. And I cannot help but think that we can locate ourselves in that story. Have you experienced death? Do you know somebody who's experienced death? Somebody of faith, somebody whose whose journey with Jesus is inspiring even, and then in the incredible face of death, all that is left to do is ask, Jesus, where were you? If If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. As you think about, maybe you haven't been touched by the sting of death. Maybe you think about this world and all the death that sort of seems to encompass this world, and you think, God, where are you? What are you doing? If you are here, then how could this be? What I love about the text is that we are allowed to ask these types of questions. But also what classifies Martha is not simply these laments or these questions, but this incredible profession of faith. She not only says, Jesus, if you were here, our brother wouldn't have died, but she even says, but I believe that you are the Son of God and that God will do what you ask him to do. And I think of my brothers and sisters with whom I've prayed because they are, they have, they've been touched by death. People they love have died, and they both have the question of lament and the sorrow and then also this incredible profession of faith. And, I, and Dana is one of those women, and I don't know how that works. I don't know how that is possible to hold those two things in tension, but it happens. 
right? It happens in the face of death. We, are, we say, God, Jesus, where were you? And yet we profess, but still, we know that you are God, that you can actually do something. And it is here that, that Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that will take place, professing this common Jewish belief that there will be an ultimate resurrection one day. I know that will happen. But then Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I do want to look at the text. If you want to turn to 11.24, or 23, rather. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha, again, after having just asked Jesus about his absence, about where he was, she says, I do believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What's remarkable to me is the humanity in this text with Martha, who, has, who is professing these things about Jesus and yet does not know the full implications of what it is she's addressing. She knows that he is the Son of God. She knows that God will do what Jesus asks him to do, and yet she cannot conceive of what is going to happen. Because the work of Jesus Christ is always surprising. The work that Jesus will do is never necessarily expected. It's hoped for. But when it actually comes, it's always surprise. And there's only praise that is the appropriate response. Or awe. Or wonder. And then later, Martha goes to get Mary. Mary comes out and again she asks Jesus, where were you? And we see that Mary is weeping. The only reasonable response to death, especially to the death of someone you love. And people are around her, as is, was customary in, in, Jewish, in Jewish practice, to be weeping with those who weep. And there are people following her weeping. And she comes to Jesus with her tears. And Jesus looks at the face of these people he loved and he himself weeps too. How surprising that the God made flesh in Jesus Christ weeps in the face of death, though only verses later he will call forth and Lazarus will come out. So I can't help but think of the disciples and the confusion and what it's like to journey with Jesus even when you're not sure where he's going or what's going to take place. I think of Martha and Mary of questioning the presence of Jesus in these moments when when it seems like if he was there, then this wouldn't have happened. And how could it be that these things still happen and yet Christ is present? But then I also think of the person of Lazarus. What's interesting about Lazarus is he's the, the catalyst of the story, and yet he never gets a word. Everyone talks about Lazarus. Everyone describes Jesus' relationship to Lazarus, but Lazarus is in the tomb, so he himself cannot speak. And yet Jesus asks, okay, where, where is he? And they go to the tomb, and Martha says, but Jesus, he's been dead four days. There's going to be a stench. 
How visceral is this text, right? That it would name something like that, which would be true. Lazarus in the tomb, and Jesus calls forth, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does. And he is still wrapped with linen, and his face is covered. And then Jesus asks those around him to unbind him, to take off the wrap. And I think of Lazarus, and I think of myself, and I think of people who have been called out of various tombs. I think of the tombs of, of, of addiction or of despair or of, of, of utter disbelief or complete sadness and darkness and that Jesus calls forth, come out, and then there is new life. I think of myself as one who has been called out into life. But this isn't just simply a, like a spiritual reality of what's taking place in resurrection. We're talking about the body being raised again because the voice of Jesus calls Lazarus out. So there isn't simply a spiritual element to it. There's a very physical reality to what is taking place that Lazarus is being called forth from death. And I think of us and I think of the main enemy that everybody shares, Christian or not, and that is the enemy of death. People may not be so sure that they are sinners, but they cannot deny the fact that they will one day die. Therefore, the good news of Jesus is that his voice calls out into the tomb and that life is therefore brought into the present. That Jesus can call life out of death. And I think of those of us who are like Lazarus, those of us who will one day die, and that our hope is that the voice of God will call us forth again and that we will rise again and be resurrected. That is, that's crazy. Because that's only happened twice that I know of. Lazarus and Jesus. Lazarus, however, would end up dying again. Bummer for him, right? I mean, think about that. Like, One time it happens, called forth, awesome, and then there's another death. But then Jesus, crucified, laid in the tomb on the third day, is resurrected and remains so, alive and with us somehow, through the Spirit, mysteriously. And that that is our future as well. So I think of the disciples and their journey with Jesus and confusion and not really sure. I think of Martha and Mary and the lament, but also the incredible profession of faith. I think of Lazarus as sharing with me my inevitable death, and yet the hope that God's voice in Jesus will call forth life. But then I can't help but think about Jesus. Jesus, the one who has been summoned to go to Bethany, because his friend whom he loved has died. The thing about this text, so many times does it talk about the way that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So if we think that this is simply a story on which it's like this stage or performance art that Jesus is simply being Jesus to resurrect this life. No, this is, the stakes are high. Jesus loved these people and one of them has died. So Jesus goes to Bethany and he is confronted by Martha. What would that have been like for Jesus? Knowing 
full well that he did wait and that he will rise Lazarus, raise Lazarus from the dead for the glory of God. And yet a friend, someone he loves before him questioning what it is he's doing and where he was. And then later on, Martha questioning the same thing. What would that have been like? Well, we know some of what it was like for Jesus to look into the face of death because we are told very clearly that he was troubled and that he was moved in his spirit. Was he moved because of anger? Anger at thinking about what this enemy of death has caused, this pain, this havoc that it wreaks? Is that what is this feeling that he's, that he's is just so moved by? Is it the emotions of the people around him, his friends, these sisters who have questioned him and who are weeping themselves? Is it because simply Lazarus was his friend and death consumed him? It's probably all of those things that makes the next thing happen, which is so astonishing, which that God himself embodied in the person of Jesus weeps. In the face of death, Jesus weeps. Yes, there, is, there will be resurrection. Lazarus will be raised. That will take place. But that does not undo the pain that has been caused by death. Have you been touched by death? And have you wondered where God was or is even now. One thing you can be sure of, because Jesus shows us that it is so, that he is with you weeping. God himself weeps in the face of death. But that is not where the story ends. The story does not end there. He asks to go to the tomb, and he calls forth Lazarus, and there is life in the midst of death. Lazarus comes out. And this begins, actually, Jesus' journey toward death and crucifixion and his ultimate resurrection. So I can't help but think of Jesus, who gives us a window into the heart of God as the one who offers incredible sense of compassion and not just compassion, but he experiences the feelings that death brings and causes, and yet offers a very life-giving word of hope. And he calls forth Lazarus. That is who God is. God is the one who came to us in Jesus, who looks into the very face of death and weeps alongside of us, but then who also offers a life-giving word of resurrection. And we know that this is the beginning. This is the beginning of life breaking in to the presence of death. This is what it looks like when Jesus gets a hold of these stories of death and that if we are then attached to Jesus, that there is the possibility of life. Notice that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection isn't something that Jesus simply does. It's not a service he renders. He himself is resurrection and life. 
So if we and our story are attached to the story of Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection, then resurrection is our future too. Resurrection becomes the hope on which we can live and breathe and do what it is we do together as God's people. Because without resurrection, as the Apostle Paul says, we are the highest to be pitied. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then none of who we are or what we do makes any sort of sense. Resurrection changes the world. And it changes our story. And it's God bringing life, pulling life, future life, resurrection life into the present that makes this possible, that makes us to awaken from our spiritual death, that actually gives us incredible hope in the midst of death, that we know as we think about our community that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the end, the, there, there is not an end to Dylan Stump's story, that he will rise again because of the hope of Jesus. This is, this is the story of, of Danielle Montiel, of Diane Stringham, of Jennifer Naraki, of the mothers and fathers that you have lost this year. The story of God is a story of new life. It is the story of resurrection, and it is our story to tell. Because Jesus, because Jesus has come, because God has come in the person of Jesus into our current reality to make new things possible and to make new life possible. When we hear stories like Lazarus, it's easy to, it's easy to think, oh, that was, that just, that's a story. But there are, there's a particular place in time in which this happened. There were real people called disciples who had names, and Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus, and Jesus, that these were real people in a real time and place. And Jesus really called out into the tomb, and a person named Lazarus came out, walked out. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope in our present. And may we experience that new life, that resurrection life, that is possible only because of Jesus Christ. It is our hope. It is my hope. It is your hope. It is the hope for our community. It is the hope for our world. Jesus calls, come out. And Lazarus does. Romans 8 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is inter interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know that this is true because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Thanks be to God.